Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hokie Hangover podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today by the usual suspects. First, in the 757, Ricky the Blue. Ricky, what's going on? Just started my first fall bowling league of the season tonight. Um, so I'm still, uh, still reeling from that energy. It's riding the high. Opening yes. night. I'm riding the high of an opening night of another sporting event, another team, another league. And that's the Virginia Tech Hokies, where I saw Mike McDaniel for much of the weekend. Mike, are you recovered? A lot of water has been consumed. <laughs> yeah. A lot of water. It has to happen. It has to happen. The Virginia Tech Hokies, victorious on opening night. There's so much that goes into this. And you're not going to want to miss, but first, you're not going to want to miss this ad read for our good friends over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy that you want to go to if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number. Look no further than Main Street Pharmacy, my friends. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. We talked about it at length in the last podcast episode that a full lane stadium was light at the end of the tunnel for the COVID pandemic. And on national television against the team that Justin Fuente perhaps hates the most, he got it done. And he got it done in front of a packed house of screaming fans that I don't think wanted to be anywhere else in the world than Blacksburg, Virginia, that Friday evening. Gentlemen, an emotional night for Hokie Nation, an emotional night for this coaching staff. Let's go back to the basics, like we've been doing since episode one of this podcast. Give me one word to describe the Hokies win over North Carolina. I'm going to go with lit. Like, I, I mean, this... The, the, the entire experience, which I did not get to witness in person, which is a shame, but the entire experience from start to finish was lit. Uh, the the enter Sandman entrance was amazing. The start of the game was amazing. The emotional ups and downs of the game <clears throat> as the game kind of swung in the balance there in the second half was amazing. The finish was amazing. It was just an incredible experience, um, and I'm sure it was even more so for everyone that was able to witness it in person. I'm so happy for people that were able to go. Even this ended up being a loss, just getting to go to a Tech game and and being a part of that, that community that people have missed for so long uh, is, is it's just awesome for everybody. So I'm really happy for everyone that got to go. As someone who was watching at home, it was a very exhilarating performance to watch, and I was I was definitely on edge the entire time. Impressive. Um, it was just really impressive. Virginia Tech's pass rush was just really freaking good all night. They sacked Sam Howell six times. They made a offensive line returning five starters look totally inept at points throughout the game. The offense was impressive. I loved the game plan by Brad Cornelson to limit possessions. I loved the way Burmeister looked for most of this game. I loved the way Tech ran the ball for a good portion of this game. Um, there were some times in the second half where they didn't run it as effectively. I think you have to give credit to North Carolina. 
they made some adjustments. Their defense is is good. They're they're going to be fine defensively. Offensively, we can have a different discussion, but defensively, I think they're going to be fine. This was a really, really important win for Virginia Tech on a number of levels. Obviously, Justin Fuente coming into the year, his job security is probably the lowest it's been since he's been in Blacksburg. It's pretty safe to say, and um, he really needed that win on Friday night. And that was a just a really important win for him and the coaching staff. Justin Hamilton called an incredible game defensively. Want to give him credit, obviously. Barno was awesome. Uh, Garbutt was awesome. Garbutt's going to have an opportunity this year, guys. We kind of touched on this in the preseason. Like Garbutt's the guy who's just kind of, he's been a good player when he's played and we've seen the potential. But now when you're lining up opposite of a guy who's getting all the attention and Amari Barno, Garbutt has an opportunity to have a really, really big year for Virginia Tech if he stays healthy and stays on the field. So yeah, just a really, really impressive win. Gentlemen, I don't think I've ever not cheated in this game. So once again, I will go with a phrase. That game was just what the doctor ordered. It was just what the doctor ordered for the fans, right? I mean, we were at home, unable to go to Lane Stadium for 650 days. Walking around before the game, the tailgates. I had the chance to go to Mike's tailgate. I had the chance to go to uh, Doug Bowman, 24-7 sports tailgates. Just walking around, seeing people I haven't seen in years, seeing orange and maroon coating the town in fields, in municipal parking lots that often aren't used for much. Blacksburg felt right again. Enter Sandman felt right again. The town felt truly normal again for the first time in a very long time. But beyond that, these fans were hungry because for years, Virginia Tech has been looking for that signature win, that game that's going to be on national television, the ones that everyone gets up for. You know, we're all alumni, and I'm sure many of our listeners are too. Not a lot of people come down for the Middle Tennessee State University game. And that's just a fact. And I tell you that as someone who lives in Blacksburg and goes to every game and spends a lot of time trying to convince people to come to the Middle Tennessee State University game. No, they want to come to Clemson. They want to come to Notre Dame. And this year, the hot ticket was North Carolina. But every year in the past, at least in the Justin Fuente era, when those big games come up, the tailgates are awesome. Enter Sandman is electric, but the game, for the most part, is a dud. Some of them not even competitive for very long. Enter Justin Fuente a guy who probably was as depressed during COVID as anyone, right? You had this beautiful redemption story at the end of 2019, where after the Duke debacle, he goes on this ACC winning streak. Yes, they lose to UVA at the end, but it seemed like he had righted the ship, right? And then 2020 was a dud. You had what on paper, if fully healthy, should have been a very good team, And they had a losing record and everyone's pissed and he probably, and it's because it's impossible to tune everything out. At least he knew that this fan base, at least many of them spent the last nine months calling for his head. And they walk in against North Carolina, the team who got full sports center specials all summer long, Sam Howell, media darling. 
and they won. They took the lead in the beginning and they never let it up. For the fans, for the players, and especially for the coaching staff, that game was just what the doctor ordered. But I got to say, I, I will give a shout out because if, if there's another phrase I could give here, the other one was put this on the podcast when it happens. Because I was walking to the game with Mike McDaniel. And I'm not going to lie, Mike had picked on this podcast, on the radio, on other podcasts. And during the Hokie House pregame show that we do, he picked Virginia Tech to beat North Carolina. And I wasn't there. And I basically told him, I think you're getting like Blacksburg syndrome here. I think you're tricking yourself into thinking this is going to happen. He said, no, Andrew. He laid it out. And it was all the reasons that I knew. They're installing this new offense with new wide receivers, new running back, whatever. Defense is even. Virginia Tech's got the home crowd environment. It should happen. You got to believe, Andrew. He laid it out for me. He said, here's how it's going to happen. And it did. The defense was way better than expected, but let's start with the offense. I think they had been preparing for this one. I think they've been thinking about this one all summer long. What was it about the game plan, at least on the offensive side of the ball, that was so effective for Virginia Tech? Well, they got the ball out of Braxton Burmeister's hands quickly, and that was definitely important uh, given Braxton's kind of lip, limited abilities as a passer. Um, however good you think Braxton is, everyone knows that he's a bit limited in, in terms of throwing the football. So getting the ball out quickly, not using him as the primary option in the running game was a huge plus for me. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that it was good or I'm, I'm not sure that it was good or bad in the short term because we've seen how successful Brad Cornelson's running quarterbacks can be but even still Burmeister still had uh, 42 yards on the ground and a touchdown so it's not like they weren't able to get him involved with his legs so and also the other thing that I really like with this offense is that they got Raheem Blackshear involved in space which is something that we just did not see enough of last year Raheem Blackshear's specific skill set requires him to be able to get the ball in space in order for him to be productive. And getting him three catches is exactly what you're looking for. He, now, he didn't offer you much in the run game, and that's certainly something to, to watch as the, the season progresses. But in terms of getting him the ball in space, he was terrific, and that's exactly what you're looking for. Uh, they took care of the ball for the most part. Uh, Keyshawn King obviously had the one fumble and then Braxton Burmeister has an interception, but we didn't see the, the awful decision-making from the quarterback position that we have seen at times. And it was one bad decision that he shouldn't have had. And then Keyshawn Kings fumble, which took points off the board probably. But when your defense is that good, then you, your margin of error increases. And I don't think that, any of us, including Mike, thought that this defense was going to be as good as they were on Friday night. And when they showed up like that, Virginia Tech's margin of error on the offensive end grew exponentially. I predicted the game being 27-24 for a reason. Like, I didn't see Virginia Tech scoring 17 points and winning this football game. The defense was unreal. Really just kept Virginia Tech in the game when the offense sputtered a bit in the second half. But I thought Burmeister was really good. The one thing I take away from his performance is that he wasn't afraid 
to go after Carolina's four and five star defensive backs and one on one coverage, right? Even on the interception. So he throws that interception in the second half. Um, it was 12 27 to go in the fourth quarter. Um, a lot of people on social media after the game were criticizing Brad Cornelson's play calling in the second half, saying it was too conservative and this and that. Virginia Tech was up 17 to seven with 12 27 to play in the fourth quarter. When Burmeister threw that interception, they had the matchup that they wanted. They had James Mitchell one-on-one on the outside. The issue wasn't that Braxton Burmeister threw the ball in James Mitchell's direction. The issue was that the right side of the offensive line decided not to block on that particular play. Carolina brought pressure to that side of the field, and it was literally the perfect play call by Carolina um, at the right time. Um, Burmeister took the snap, rolled slightly to his right, and ended up being right into pressure. Tech didn't block it effectively, and he got hit as he threw and, and threw the pick. But the throwing it to James Mitchell, they had what they wanted there. They had one-on-one on the outside um, in, a, in a matchup they were confident about. Burmeister made some big-time throws, man. That the, one in the, the one in the first half stood out to me. Tech's up 7-0. Um, you know, Keyshawn King fumbled. Carolina got the ball back. They're driving down the field. Mario Kendricks makes a huge sack on third down knocks Carolina out of field goal range. Tech gets the ball back, goes right down the field. Braxton Burmeister made one of the biggest throws of his career on that drive. He hit Trey Turner down the right-hand side going to the south end zone on a ball right along the sideline against a five-star corner in McMichael on defense defending Turner. The biggest throw of Burmeister's career thus far at Virginia Tech. Burmeister only had one incompletion in the first half. And it was a couple of plays later when Trey Turner dropped the ball in the end zone. Burmeister was flawless in the first half in the passing game. He was, he was unbelievable. A lot of that has to do with the fact that Brad Cornelson schemed this up, like Ricky said, to make sure that the ball got out of his hands quickly. The first couple of throws in the game, the first play of the game for Virginia Tech on offense was a bubble screen to Trey Turner. Um, later in the drive, uh, they schemed it up out of a trips look where they had Blackshear running out of the backfield down the left-hand side. That, that wheel route that Burmeister missed in the fourth quarter where Blackshear was wide open, they ran that play on the first drive of the game and they hit it for a pretty pretty huge gain. It was a 31-yard gain. It would have been something similar if he hit that, hit that pass in the fourth quarter. So it was just a perfect game plan, in my opinion, by Brad Cornelson. The one other thing I want to touch on real quick, and I was thinking about this earlier. So late in the first half, Tech has the ball back. And I, I saw people complaining on social media about the conservative play calling going into halftime by Brad Cornelson in the stands. You know, I, I was thinking the same thing. And then I went back, I watched it and I thought about it a little bit more Virginia tech's entire game plan, whether you agree with the line of line of play calling or what, I think the reason why Brad Cornelson didn't get real aggressive there at the end of the first half was the entire game plan for this game, right. Was to, have long drives, chew up a lot of clock, not get into a shootout type situation with North Carolina. Don't give them the ball back quickly, right? Sit on the ball as long as possible. My thought on this is that if, if Virginia Tech had a couple of chunk plays in the running game, right? Because we had saw that early, we had seen that earlier in the game. Blackshear had a couple of decent carries. Holston had a couple of decent carries. I think if they were to get a couple of chunk running plays, they might've tried to get down into field goal range, right? They might've tried to speed things up. I don't think they wanted to get into a situation where um, they were giving Carolina the ball back quickly at the end of the half, whether we agree with it or not. I just think that was kind of the game plan going in. 
And then one final thing I, I want to touch on that was an overarching thought that I had in the stands in this game. The moment that I thought that Carolina knew they were in trouble, Virginia Tech is leading 14 to nothing in the second quarter. This is right before Virginia Tech got the ball back and had that conservative drive that I was just talking about. Virginia Tech's up 14 to nothing in the second quarter. They stop North Carolina, right, with a minute 27 to go in the half. Carolina comes out and lines up like they're going to go for it on their own 38-yard line. Now, it ended up being a bluff, and they called a timeout, um, and it came after an incomplete pass, right? So it's not like they were chewing up clock or anything like that. Like, they came out and bluffed like they were going for it. At that moment, I was like, you know what? They're thinking if we give the ball back to Virginia Tech, we're a little bit nervous about Carolina's ability um, defensively to stop the Hokies. That's when I thought Carolina knew they were kind of in for it, right? Um, And they fought their way back in and ended up being a much more competitive game in the second half. But I think Carolina knew early in the game that they were in trouble with the way Virginia Tech came out and played offensively. In terms of Braxton Burmeister, I think a big question that I had going into the game was – what Braxton Burmeister are we going to get? Are we going to get the Braxton Burmeister that we saw struggle at times versus Duke play an imperfect game against NC State, even in a victory? There was a mixed bag. Or are we going to see the Braxton Burmeister that we saw against UVA and in that series against Clemson before he suffered the injury where I believe he was near perfect passing? We got pretty much as good of a Braxton Burmeister as we possibly could have gotten there now Braxton Burmeister he's not Superman he's not Trevor Lawrence he's certainly not even I mean he's not even Sam Howell but he's a quarterback that was built for this system he's a guy that can make decisions within the offense and it seems like in the read option game he made every decision right he completed the passes at least in the first half that he was supposed to complete and he flexed some things that I think you can work with right the fade ball to Trey Turner, the athletic play to the end zone to James Mitchell, one of the most fun touchdowns I've seen in a year or two for Virginia Tech football. The credit goes to the coaching staff, though. They called a hell of a game, at least in the first half. The team got ahead. And, I mean, you mentioned Raheem Blackshear earlier. He got off to a hot start, I believe, an 11-yard gain on his first run, six yards on the second, and then kind of stalled out a little bit, a lot of runs for negative yards. But – when we were so hyped on a podcast in the summer of 2020 about this kid coming from Rutgers who could work out of the passing game, and he never really caught footing in Blacksburg, partially because I believe he came here late and then he caught COVID. Well, that's a bad combination. On top of that, there's a kid named Khalil Herbert who's running for 200 yards a game, and suddenly you're going to be iced out of your coach's game plan. Now, I don't know how sustainable it is. He had 66 yards receiving. Is that going to happen? Oh, by the way, three catches. <laughs> Is that going to happen every game? I don't know. But at least it gives West Virginia and Notre Dame in the short run something they have to think about, something they have to consider. You know, these offensive weapons are who they are. We know how great Mitchell is. I love seeing Gallo and Delius get involved as well. These two tight end sets add a total different element to the offense. We didn't see much from payout. Caleb Smith, great effort on the blocking. And, of course, Trey and Tavion did what they had Lock to do. his ass off. Yes, he blocked his ass. Good effort on the blocking might be an understatement on my Caleb, part. Caleb Smith and James Mitchell were unbelievable blocking on Friday night. Unbelievable blocking. James Mitchell, physically, boy to man. That's the reason you stay at Virginia Tech another year when you know you can get drafted. You're up in that draft stock, baby. And that's what I like to see. 
because NFL tight ends aren't lanky boys. James Mitchell's not a lanky boy anymore. And against a very good North Carolina defense, he blocked his ass off. But by the way, I mean, with Burmeister, he showed flashes. He was effective for a while. Good second half game plan for them. Virginia Tech might have gotten a little too conservative. You go three and out, three and out. Interception, missed field goal. The second half wasn't pretty. The first half game plan was good enough that, of course, the defense was uh, fantastic. But any other thoughts on the offense? What do you guys think of the offensive line rotations on the O-line play? Okay. You know. yeah, they, yeah, they were decent in the first half. Everything kind of fell apart in the second half. Uh, the, the push wasn't there. We didn't see the separation that we saw early on. Burmeister obviously made the, the poor decision of throwing it when he had all the pressure in his face. The second half, they, they just never found a rhythm. Now, luckily, it didn't matter because Carolina's offense was too busy trying to get up off the mat. The offense needs to be able to sustain the, what they did in the first half for more than two quarters. Yeah, I, I know that the defense was really good in this game, and we're going to get into that here in a second. I don't think you can count on holding your, your opponent to 10 points most games you're right. you're gonna have to score upper 20s mid 30s more often than not if you want to win eight plus games so the offense you know hats off to them for for getting them out there early and putting their foot on carolina's neck early on like that's exactly what you want but you've got to be able to sustain some of that as the game progresses and part of that's on the coaching staff Part of it's on Braxton Burmeister, um, and part of it's on the rest of the team. It, 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 it's, it's a group effort, uh, so nobody has all the blame there, but you can't expect to score 17 points and win a lot of games. Um, no, I, I agree. My, my, um, my, my big takeaway, I guess, overarching takeaway with the offense is how much, the, how much success they had testing the perimeter of North Carolina. Like It was clear that was the game plan. You know, Tech thought that they could have some success with, you know, testing the boundary, whether it was through the passing game where, you know, Burmeister throws that pass to, to Trey Turner. You know, he threw a pass to uh, Tavion Robinson there in the fourth quarter. Um, he ended up stepping out of bounds, but it was a perfect throw um, to the back corner of the end zone on a go route. And then Cornelson, for some reason, called it again, and Burmeister made another decent throw, but not as good as the first one that was nearly a touchdown. Um, but but they thought they could have some success both running and passing. And hats off to James Mitchell and Caleb Smith because a big reason why Tech had some success in the jet sweep game and, you know, in the tunnel screens and stuff like that is because of the blocking of those two individuals specifically. So um, there were a lot of things to be happy about here. The, the offensive line, I thought, for the most part was okay. The right side is still a work in progress. Tech rotated a ton of guys in there. We saw Terrell Smith. We saw Johnny Jordan, who played well in limited time. Caden Moore, I thought for the most part, held his own. He had, you know, some moments where he got beat, which you would expect. I mean, he's a true freshman playing <laughs> in his first college game. Um, so, you know, th there were some, some things that I think Virginia Tech can be certainly very happy about with the offensive line, and there are areas to improve. Um, Tech had more success in this game running outside the tackles than they did um, up the middle. You know, Virginia Tech, I think moving forward offensively is going to have to find a way to run the ball more consistently between the tackles, which is something they I thought did well at times in the first half. And then 
didn't do too well in the second half. Um, so that's just an area to keep an eye on. And like Ricky mentioned, the receivers, I think, had a bit more trouble uh, getting open in the second half, just strictly talking about Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson short of that touchdown pass that wasn't uh, that I re- referred to earlier. But there were still guys getting open in the second half, just not necessarily the top two receivers. I mean, Blackshear had some opportunities. Um, James Mitchell obviously had the big catch in the fourth quarter. And, and Burmeister just he missed a couple of open throws. The one on the jailbreak screen on third and 12 on, I believe it was the first or second possession of the second half. Tech was not in a, in a good spot, but it was a perfect play call. The whole offensive line flushed out to the right, and Burmeister had some pressure in his face and overthrew Blackshear out of the backfield. That would have been a first down and then some. The interception, not feeling that pressure or feeling that pressure, which is what it looked like it was, feeling that pressure and deciding to throw it anyway because he had that matchup that he wanted one-on-one on the outside. And then the wheel route that he missed with about three minutes to go that gave Carolina the ball back. That was one that he absolutely has to hit and that he did hit in the first half. So it wasn't perfect, but overall I liked the way that Burmeister played. He, he graded out really well by pro football focus. And I think a big reason why was because he was constantly hitting the right read. There wasn't really too many parts of this game where I looked at Burmeister's passing and I'm actually writing an article about this for Sons of Saturday. So I've been actually looking like each individual passing play. There was actually um, a passing play in in the third quarter, a a pass that he threw that I thought was a worse throw than the one he got intercepted on. Um, He threw it kind of behind his receiver and in double coverage. It was one of the few passes in the game that he put into double coverage. So he really just took care of the football, took his chances when they were there. And he he just had to execute a little bit better in the second half. When I was in the stands, and Virginia Tech's offense was kind of stalling out in the second half. I was getting nervous flashbacks of the Miami game last year, where a on paper superior team comes into Blacksburg and Virginia Tech takes a lead 14 to three in the case of 2020 Miami. And the opposing team slowly chips away as Virginia Tech's offense takes a conservative approach, doesn't get aggressive. And then ultimately the defense, which plays a fantastic game all throughout, just can't hold up the entire time. And the opponent comes away with a victory. Now, luckily, that did not happen in this case. But we'd like to see better second-half offense. That being said, Carolina is supposed to be one of the better defense. You mentioned the five-star McMichael, five-star Tony Grimes on the other side. That wasn't a ideal first opponent for Braxton Burmeister to face in his first real game as the certified number one starter at Virginia Tech but he did enough he did enough and of course scoreboard wise now you could say anything could change at any time right because Sean King doesn't fumble in the red zone maybe Trey Turner brings in that ball maybe John Parker Romo hits a chip shot field goal give me two of those things and the final score really looks much more favorable if you're Virginia Tech so if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Let's get positive here. I remember another game in recent history when one quarterback seemed to be so superior to the other. One team on paper got all the hype, and a lot of people were kind of writing off the underdog, and that was the Super Bowl last year. Going into the Super Bowl, the one I, I picked the Buccaneers. And I said, who's blocking? Who's on the offensive line for Patrick Mahomes? Offensive line matters. This is the National Football League. 
and I'm sure you all watched the game. Patrick Mahomes probably ran a half marathon horizontally on the field because no one could block for him. And we knew what North Carolina's offensive line was a good, you know, above average to good run blocking team and a average to below average pass blocking team. So maybe I didn't expect Norrell Pollard and Taiwan Garbett to be able to bring the kind of pressure that they did. I had high expectations coming in for Amari Barno, but Sam Howell probably just wanted that chaotic night to end from the moment that it started. Gentlemen, how good is this pass rush? It's pretty good to start, right? I mean, Mike mentioned that this offensive line was pretty good run blocking last year, but pass blocking, they were far from good. And I'm not sure what, how much of those six sacks were supposed to attribute to Virginia Tech's ability to rush the passer and how much we're supposed to attribute to Carolina's inability to protect their quarterback. But that was the deciding factor in this game. Sam Howell was uncomfortable for most of the night. He was most comfortable in the second half when he actually was able to kind of get out of the pocket and make some, some things happen with his legs. That was really when he was most comfortable. Other than that, Sam Howell really was clueless for most of the night because by the time his receivers were finally getting into their routes, he already had one to two guys in his face and he was running for his life. Taiwan Garbett, I think, deserves a huge shout out for his performance, given that Garbett has dealt with a lot of personal stuff over the last year plus. Coming back to the program for the first time in a while this offseason, Emmanuel Belmar's injury forces Garbett to really take over as the starting end when he might not have been ready, at least conventional wisdom would say so. And he goes out there and, and gives him two sacks and, and a forced fumble. You can't ask any more of the guy. I mean, having Amari Barno on the opposite end helps and makes a difference because he's obviously drawing a lot of, uh, a lot of attention, but Garbett was absolutely phenomenal and he he didn't lead the way. That was Amari Barno, but this entire defensive front, whether it be Barno, Garbett, even Jalen Griffin, I felt like was getting pressure when he was coming in off the bench. And then all of the defensive tackles were making plays. Josh Fuga, Mario Kendricks, Narelle Pollard, Jordan Williams did a little bit when he came in because he was more of a secondary option this game. Virginia Tech's defensive front is exactly what won them the game. I know that the, the secondary played exceptionally well, but a lot of that has to be given credit to, to the defensive front for how much pressure they created. Yeah, Sam Howell was never comfortable. Um, the defensive line was really good. The interior defensive line held up really well against the run. Carolina's rushing numbers look a little bit inflated. One of the longer runs they had in the game by DJ Jones was at the end of the first half when Tech was in prevent defense. You take that out of there, you know, you take a couple of Ty Chandler runs out on, on third and long. I mean, there, there were some situations there where Tech was playing pretty far back off the ball. I, I thought overall, though, Tech really shut down the Carolina running game to the point where, you know, they really could pin their ears back and, and get after the quarterback, which is something they did a lot better than I expected them to. I, I thought Barno would be a factor because he's Barno and he's freaking amazing. I was surprised at how well Garbutt played. I thought he had a chance, but didn't play last year. Had been dealing with some personal stuff, came back and just put in a really inspiring performance. Really liked what I saw out of the linebackers in this game. Dax Hollyfield wasn't tested in the middle of the defense um, as much as I thought going in because Carolina just simply didn't run the football as well as I thought they might. 
Dax looked certainly more comfortable at, at middle linebacker at Mike. Tisdale had a good game at backer. He had a sack. The secondary played really well. Even Shamari Connor, whose primary focus was having to cover Josh Downs in the slot all night. Yeah, Downs had a big game, but when you consider Downs had eight catches for 123 yards and a touchdown, and Shamari Connor was named ACC Defensive Back of the Week because he had eight tackles, you know, team leading eight tackles. He had the interception. When I go back and look at it, it's easy to just like with a blanket statement say, yeah, I mean, Connor was covering Downs and Downs roasted him because he had 123 yards and a touchdown. But when you go back and look at it, the fact of the matter is that a majority of Downs catches, which is something that's on the entirety of the Virginia Tech defense, and they absolutely have to clean this up moving forward if we're going to nitpick a little bit here, is the tunnel screens, right? Downs was catching passes on these tunnel screens and he was just taken off in space. And it, this is primarily in the second half. He only had two catches in the first half. He's taken off on these tunnel screens. He's getting like 25, 30 yards. The one they broke for the touchdown, I, that 37 yard touchdown catch he had, that was off a tunnel screen. I mean, he just kind of went in the end zone untouched. So Virginia Tech is going to be facing some dynamic slot receivers moving forward in conference play. The, the one that comes to my mind, and there's going to be a few, I'm sure, before this, but the one that comes to my mind is going to be later in the season against Boston College when they have to defend Zay Flowers, right? And Zay Flowers is a guy who can give them similar issues that Josh Downs just gave them. And Tech's going to have to clean up, you know, defending that, that screen pass moving forward. I also think a, a big reason why Virginia Tech had trouble defending that is they were trying to sell out in the middle of the defense to make sure that Carolina wasn't killing them on the runs up the middle, right? Um, they were really selling out the middle of the field, which was a concern for me going in not necessarily the defensive line, even though they played better than I thought, not necessarily the linebackers that played as I expected, but I was really concerned about the safety position where when Keontae Jenkins was in, he played well. When Tate Daly was in, he played well. Nasir Peoples was, for much of the night, the best player in the secondary for Virginia Tech. And we weren't sure how much he was going to play, if at all. Um, I didn't expect him to be in the rotation, that's for sure. And yeah. I, I don't think he was the best in the secondary because – both Jermaine Waller and Chapman uh, and I was going to say Armani Chapman looked exceptional at, yeah. at corner, especially Jermaine Waller. Nasir Peoples came out of nowhere. Like I, yeah. I was not expecting that at all. Mike, before the game, you said it yourself. And this was a matchup that I was very cued in on. A lot of this game depended on the North Carolina running game versus the Virginia tech front seven. And you're absolutely right. Those numbers are inflated you see at the end of the day, this is an offense that scored 10 points in four quarters, right? right. Because right. last year when North Carolina was putting up 40 some odd 50 points a game, you had Javante Williams, and Michael Carter in the backfield. They get a few yards on first and second down. And that would set up third and medium, third and short. And suddenly you have this great quarterback, Sam Howell with the running backs in the backfield. And of course the wide receiver options on the outside, and you can do whatever you want. And it is impossible to scheme against that. But the way that Virginia Tech's front seven played, limiting the running game when it effectively mattered, when it effectively mattered, it didn't effectively matter when North Carolina was trying to come back 14 points and they were running the ball on third down 10 with seven minutes left to play in the game. Right. That didn't matter. But Sam Howell couldn't push the ball downfield because the run game didn't set it up. So that is why, in my opinion, that front seven, and credit to all of them, credit to Norrell Pollard, credit to Amari Barno and Taiwan Garbin, of course, and the linebackers did what they had to do. They shut down Ty Chandler, who was an accomplished Division I running back playing at a relatively successful running back level for a bad team in a great conference, and you'd think he'd be able to step in against 
a front seven with a lot of question marks and, and do some work and yeah. didn't scratch the surface. Those yeah. guys, those position groups, in my opinion, the MVP of the game, and it's not close. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And and I don't want to, and, and just to clarify, I don't want to make it seem like the entire running running attack for Carolina was inflated. They had some play, you know, they had some plays here and there where they executed. Sam Howell broke loose a couple of times and, and the play broke down and he was able to get loose. But by and large, when you look at this, like, it was just a really, really impressive performance by Virginia Tech's front seven. And the, the secondary was great. And yeah, I mean, Waller was incredible. I mean, the, the ball that he wrestled away for that interception was, you know, that's why you recruit guys of Waller's caliber, right? Dorian Strong had the play. That also um, felt like a, a just kind of a mindset. Like Tech's defense came into this game pissed off. Yep. Like yeah. they, they, they played pissed off football and that's not something we've seen for a, a while. I mean, we saw it a little bit towards the end of Bud Foster's tenure where like there were some games where we felt like the defense was playing angry, but there were too many games at the end of Bud's tenure when the, the defense was just getting steamrolled. Well, and, and it just, was the same thing last year with, with Justin Hamilton, but this this game was the first time under Justin Hamilton where I felt like this defense was was pissed off. They were angry and they were going to take control of the game. And there were games last year where we looked at this defense and we said the defense quit. Right. I mean, the pit game comes to mind. We're like that deep. The defense yeah, yeah. just quit. One play that stands out to me outside of that Waller interception was Dorian Strong got beat on a go route going towards the south end zone. Right. And he got beat on a go route and strong turned around and he caught up and made an extremely athletic play to break up the pass in the end zone. Right. And he got beat off the line of scrimmage. He closed and he made a really athletic play that showed why pro football focus had him as a, as a freshman all American last year. It was those type of plays all night. It was, it was Jordan Williams after not playing as many snaps as I thought he would. He played the least amount of snaps out of any of the defensive tackles. Um, they were all distributed relatively equally, but he played the least amount of snaps, which I was surprised about. But he comes in on that play at the end with Howell, and he's the one who was putting the pressure on it to lead to the Chamari Connor interception. It was just a mindset all night, no matter who was in there, whether it was Chapman or Strong or Waller at defensive back. You know, whether it was Fuga or Kendricks or Pollard or Williams at, at defensive line on, on the interior defensive line, like it was a mindset all night. They were just going to continue to wreak havoc. And it was really, really impressive to watch. And then the one final thing is that Virginia Tech was in a position where they rushed the passer so well that they could drop one of those defensive linemen in coverage to do that spy thing that we were all talking about, right? Like we talked about that in the preview, like. Tech could potentially spy Sam Howell a little bit, even though he's not like a true runner. Like he can hurt you with his legs if he gets outside the pocket. And they dropped Barno into coverage a couple of times. And I was like, man, his ability to not only rush the passer, but then to drop in coverage and cover running backs out of the backfield and, and bump guys in the slot. Like his skill set is unbelievable. He's one of the most athletic defensive ends I've seen come through Virginia Tech in a really long time. Frankly, what was the story going into the game? Sam Howell, Sam Howell, Sam Howell. Sam Howell is so great, and Sam Howell is great. But when I was pushing back against you on that walk to Lane Stadium, and you were talking about this defense, I'm like, dude, I just don't buy it. This team made Kenny Pickett look like an All-American one night, not that long ago. 
And Sam Howell comes in, coming off of a game where his offense put up 656 total yards in 2020. Virginia Tech effectively cuts that in half. Sam Howell has the least passing yards in a game since he played Clemson September of his freshman year. He has never thrown three interceptions in a game before. That is his game career high for interceptions. They terrorized him. They neutralized the star of the show and the kid who's supposed to be the star of the ACC, the future darling of the NFL. And that doesn't necessarily reflect so poorly on him because everything around him just wasn't operating. But Virginia Tech's offense, yes, it did look pedestrian in the second half, but North Carolina's offense never looked more than pedestrian. Right after that first drive, where I think it was first three and out that Sam Howell faced, and he pushes it on somewhat of a slant route, maybe a post route, Josh Downs gets the first down, and I said, okay, it's going to be a long night. We scored first, but this is the kid we came to expect to see, and you never really saw it again. He couldn't push the ball downfield. Virginia Tech's pass rush knew what was coming. They terrorized him, and they stopped the run to prevent North Carolina from getting that variability of play calling, you know, on what would be a third and five, third and four situation. No, it was third and long. All the props in the world to Justin Hamilton, who called his first real game as a coordinator against North Carolina last year and was embarrassed. I'm sure we were reactionarily, at least maybe me and Ricky, calling for his job after like one game. But I did it after like five. It, but for him, with a full <laughs> offseason to get his defense installed and a lot of guys coming back, it was a redemption song for him. Certainly a redemption song for Coach Fuente, a redemption song for the players on the field who they never let up from the intensity that they brought in the first quarter. The heart rate went up watching that game for sure because as the offense stalled out and you get flashbacks of games like Miami where the better team on paper just chips, chips, chips away when the offense stalls out and ultimately take it. Virginia Tech's defense never allowed that to happen and credit all around. It wasn't a perfect game offensively. It was a good game plan with flaws, but it's a game plan that worked defensively from game plan to execution, you know, damn near hundred percent, right? The last thing I'll say with this defense is last week, we talked about how we didn't think that Virginia Tech had the ability to shut Carolina down. We felt like they had the ability to maybe contain them, but we did not feel like they were going to shut Carolina down. Well, that's exactly what they did. It was just damn impressive. I mean, I just can't get over how impressive it was. I mean, Justin Hamilton, salute, man. Like That was just – and shout-out to the players for executing the way that they did. All right, so I'll ask you guys this. Looking at the game holistically, it was a surprise in a lot of ways. Give me the things that you saw that you didn't expect to see. Not things that you think might be one-offs, but something you didn't think you'd see that you believe now might be sustainable and increase Virginia Tech stock going forward, assuming the team, you know, stays moderately healthy. A relentless pass rush. I, I, I didn't think the text pass rush was going to be all that good outside of Amari Barno, but between Barno, Garbett, Jalen Griffin at defensive end, if they can stay healthy there, they've got three legitimate ends who can provide various amounts of pressure. On the interior, they've got four defensive tackles that I think they feel good about and wouldn't mind starting any of them between Kendricks, Pollard, 
Williams and Fuga, they've got four guys that they really rely on, that they, they count on there. And those seven players for those four spots, I think, are going to be really good. I'm not sure if Eli Adams is going to be able to provide much off the bench. I didn't, I don't remember seeing anything from him in the game. But those seven players that I mentioned on that defensive front, I do think that that is relatively sustainable. Yeah, Eli Adams didn't record any statistics as far as tackles or anything like that was concerned. But um, yeah, my, my answer is the same. It's the pass rush. I, I just don't know how you can pick anything else from this game. Like if you had to pick one thing, I think it's got to be the pass rush. The, the one other thing I would mention is I think Virginia Tech's in better shape in the back end of the defense in the middle of the field than I expected them to be. I really liked what I saw out of Keontae Jenkins and Tay Daly and certainly Nasir Peoples. That was just a surprise. Um, thought there was a chance he could play because I knew that um, Tech was concerned about Devin Hunter's ability in pass coverage. I did not expect um, Peoples to play however many snaps he did. I know Devin Hunter only logged two snaps on defense the entire night. I didn't expect Peoples to just take over and kind of be the starter. Um, he was he was good. And um, I, I guess offensively, some of the other things I think are sustainable, Burmeister's ability in the quick passing game, um, I don't want to say I didn't expect to see it, um, but I think if Cornelson calls – calls games similarly to how he called it against against North Carolina. Tech doesn't need Burmeister to be like a 300-yard-per-game guy if the defense is playing this well. They just need him to make the right decisions and distribute the ball to his playmakers, and that's something he's he, he was able to show an ability to do in this game. So um, I think Tech could be in a good spot at quarterback if they continue to put him in positions to succeed with, with the play calling because – Burmeister doesn't seem like a guy who's going and and again this is based off of kind of what we saw last year and what we saw in this opener he doesn't seem like a guy who's going to put the ball into harm's way too often even last year when he wasn't playing particularly well he did not turn the ball over much and I don't think he's going to do that this year but I think he gives you the upside to uh, make some plays down the field that I didn't necessarily expect going into this game, just some of the, I mean, that throw to Turner, the throw to Tavion. Um, he had one-on-one with Mitchell. They're trying to go for the jugular there for sure uh, on the interception. Um, a lot of this is going to, a lot of this is going to be on Cornelson to continue to put Burmeister in situations where he can be successful. But I think he has a potential to be uh, quite good and at least efficient enough in the passing game to give Tech a chance on offense. Yeah, and, and you go back to the big passes, the James Mitchell touchdown, those couple of fades, the fact that he was efficient all throughout the first half. In a season where the staff's future is in jeopardy, the fact that they've shown that they have a quarterback and, and you know an offense surrounding him that is good enough to beat a good team if the game plan is effective, they can execute it. And that's all Braxton Burmeister really needs to do. That's all you can expect out of Braxton Burmeister. As I said, the kid's not Trevor Lawrence. The kid's not Sam Howell. He's here to do the job. That's why he was recruited to this school through the transfer portal, because they saw in Oregon a quarterback that fit well into their offensive scheme. And I think we saw at least for one half of football, a quarterback that can really execute the Brad Cornelson offense. And I think we'll see better. You know, a lot of five stars in that defensive backfield, 
the future could be bright for Braxton Burmeister. On the other side, I mean, the offensive line held up great. Ricky, you're totally right. Pass rush. Uh, special teams. I mean, Jalen Stroman was pretty damn close to blocking a punt. Maybe Beaver Ball comes back. Maybe I maybe. was going to say, too, shout out Peter Moore. Four punts, two of yep. which are 50-plus. He, he was good. One was inside good. the 20. Like, that's that's pretty solid for uh, your your college debut. I mean, yeah, special the, teams look better. Isn't that the name of the game, though? They never gave Sam Howell a short field that entire time. And maybe with one interception they did, but he turned it over right away. Yeah, That's how you beat North Carolina. Yep. And they did it. So good on them. Ton of positives to take away from this. And, of course, you know, the secondary. I mean, Nasir Peoples, me and Ricky had an entire podcast, basically, where 30 minutes were dedicated to Devin Hunter. The dude played two snaps, and they right. still won. So if that's your backup, Nasir is like Devin who? Yeah, no right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is a totally overlooked guy. He, he was a recruit that, you know, he had, he had a Notre Dame offer. Peoples is someone I expected to be in the transfer portal like two years ago. Uh, and shout out to Nasir for sticking with it, grinding it out, and it sure looks like he's earned himself more playing time. Coming back from injury, too, and towards ACL last year, coming back from injury nine months ago, playing like that. Yeah. Sign me up. No, I mean, no lie. I remember, you know, summer 2020, we're on a podcast together, the three of us, and we're talking about some training camp injuries that happened. We mentioned people's, and we're like, oh, that's a tough depth piece to lose. Quite frankly, his name was never at the forefront of my mind when thinking about Virginia Tech's defense after that point. I saw him listed on the two deep. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. Good for him. He came back from injury. And to step in as arguably the best player overall in the secondary for large swaths of the game in what is, and tell me if you disagree, the biggest win of Justin Fuente's career at Virginia Tech? That is. Probably. I think absolutely. It is. There, yeah. there, is, <laughs> there is no win that, that really comes close. I mean, there are some big wins in his tenure. We can talk about the – 2016 Carolina game in the rain. Um, we can talk about the 2016 UVA game where they beat UVA like a million to zero, something something like that. Like there, there are some big wins in in the Justin Fuente era. There's not many of them, but yeah. this was by far the one that stands out. And uh, whatever Justin's record ends up being at the end of the season when he walks into Whip Babcock's office for his end of the season meeting, this is the one win that he can stamp his name on and be like, yeah, I, I got Virginia Tech's first win against a top 10 team, albeit preseason top 10 I'll, since 2009. I'll tell you what, if he were to beat Carolina and then find a way to beat West Virginia in two weeks and still lose his job, that would be art. That would be art. <laughs> um, I, that, I, I think that would require losing to a uh... – a Duke team that just lost to UNC Charlotte. Syracuse. Hey, hey, by the way, I know we're not getting into picks. Now, I know we're gonna give we're gonna give credit to Mike for picking tech. Bravo, sir. Well Thank done. You. Good job. Thank Mike you. had Mike had the stones. I really believed it. Um, but your boy not only called the Charlotte win over Duke, but the monarchs kept it within the spread against Wake Forest. <laughs> it did. Did they? On the yes. spread that we were using. Wasn't it 38? I'm pretty sure the spread uh, we'll, we'll, we'll was 38. We'll rehash it. And... Also, Pitt, Pitt, 
to have the spread over UMass. Called that. Pit kick the hell out of UMass. Uh, Northern Illinois over Georgia Tech. I'm pretty sure I called that one too. So Georgia Tech losing to Northern <laughs> Illinois is a dude, really they are they are livid in Atlanta. They yeah, are Je- livid. <laughs> Jeff Jeff Collins, man. Clock's ticking, buddy. Guy guy's really good on Twitter, and he's he's a really good like promoter. Now, but Jeff it, Collins, you're on the and and look, I give him credit. I give him credit because not to get too far down the path, but like when he came to Georgia Tech, he came at a perfect time because they needed like a facelift as far as the culture was concerned and like getting pushing themselves more to the forefront in Metro Are you Atlanta. saying Paul Johnson wasn't hip and charismatic? I know. Who would have thought? Yeah. Right? <laughs> Who would have thought? But Jeff Collins now has losses to the Citadel. Uh, Syracuse's only conference win last year was against Georgia Tech. And now they open up the season losing to Northern Illinois as an 18-point favorite at home, a team that went winless in the MAC last year. That's, that's horrendous. I, I mean, will say. Horrendous your, losses. Your boy, Joey, from the Basketball Conference Podcast. which you don't listen to. Great podcast. Mike does it with a kid who, uh, not really a kid anymore. He's like 30, but went to Georgia <laughs> Tech. And <laughs> 30 with a kid himself. I went on that podcast for a Virginia Tech preview, and he was dogging Virginia Tech. And not that he's so hot on Georgia Tech to begin with. No. Nah. How the turntables, as they say. But his he, tune he, has changed. But honestly, maybe in our Middle Tennessee State preview podcast that we're going to record tomorrow night, we can get around the ACC a little bit and just talk about a few talk news about and Dino notes Babers getting from there. Done against Ohio, yeah. baby. Maybe we can go a little in-depth on our ACC <laughs> picks and talk about what happened because, quite frankly – Unless a whole lot of open information comes out about Middle Tennessee State University really soon, I'm going to kind of struggle on that one. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Bailey Hockman, we know that. Yeah. But the last thing I'll say is that Justin Fuente hated North Carolina when they were bad. When it, when it was the down days of the Larry Fedora years and there were bigger games to circle on the schedule, he just hated everything about them. The concept of the program. Essentially, Most tech the way fans that, have almost equal hatred for Carolina as they do UVA. Yep. And, I mean, and I think I think Carolina has actually taken Miami's place as like the second most hated program. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't hate them until our let's recruit North Carolina really well plan went down the drain because of Mac Brown, and then we had to start going to Texas, and that didn't necessarily work. Right. I mean, they just weren't good enough for a long enough time for me to be like, I hate you. Miami's always kind of hung in there. And UVA is just the in-state rival. But they have asserted themselves in a short period of time, at least in my heart, to being my second least favorite team. And UVA is just different. 2019 rubbed me the wrong way, man. (laughs) Ironically, Mac Brown went to recruit in North Carolina, and we went to recruit in Texas, his old stomping grounds. How weird is that? One more successful than the other. But despite all the hype, Virginia Tech, victors, 17 to 10 in Lane Stadium in front of what had to have been due to understack thing for ticket checkers, a crowd of 72,000 people. <laughs> yeah. Gentlemen, any last thoughts before we check out here? Um, four players ejected in the first half of Ole Miss Louisville for targeting is absolute insanity. 
and they need to figure out the targeting role uh, sometime this offseason because that's nuts. Also, rate, review, subscribe. Yeah, rate, review, subscribe is always uh, always on deck. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike McDaniel SOS. You can follow Ricky on Twitter at Ricky LeBlue. You can follow me at Andrew Alex Radio. That's Andrew A-L-I-X Radio. I'm just going to tell deck fans, man, show up. Show up and show out like you did. Also, uh, shout out to Main Street Pharmacy for promoting the podcast in the store. Now, for those who may have seen it on socials, we have a cool-ass poster inside Main Street Pharmacy promoting the podcast. Um, So take a picture of it when you go in there. Yeah, shout-out to the gang here. Getting the posters together on short notice was a... Yes, uh, total team effort. It was a total team effort. Ricky designed it. Mike ordered it. I picked it up. Now I'm putting it up in the stores. It was also my idea. Uh, Yes. We're doing that. And also shout-out to Champs. Sports Bar and Cafe in Blacksburg. They're the ones that told me we can do it in the first place that gave me the idea. My favorite place to watch sports probably in the world. Probably watch more sports there than <laughs> anywhere else ever because I've been in Blacksburg since I was in college. and now how, how far away do you live from champs? Well, in college and in my first year out of college, like the size of a normal house would include champs in my house. If you included my apartment <laughs> now a little bit farther away, but I still, still mosey on over there uh, a good amount of the time. Shout out to rich over there, rich Swenson, one of our favorite people. Uh, uh, shout out to pudge pudge. Great guy. Shout out to Mike's friends. Shout out to Mike's wife. Shout out to whoever at Mike's tailgate bought all those uh, substation subs. Shout out Burmeister for doing the Jersey switch with the cadet. That was pretty cool. That was sick. Shout out a lot of the people at uh, Virginia tech, just working in within the athletic department. Haven't had to put on a real game in two years now, you know, 650 days. You came out swinging baby. Yeah. That was uh, you hit the nail on the head pretty much every single time and shout out the students more importantly than anything sticking around the entire time and they showed up early from my understanding is that north was full with like 45 minutes before kickoff well and that's a secondary shout out to worth man around who made the decision but they made it general admission student tickets so if you want to sit in north you can get there early otherwise you'll be relegated to east yeah and uh, apparently there's a it's making the rounds tonight on twitter i don't know if you guys have seen it yet but a uva or excuse me a unc fan went on uh, Instagram and said basically that the atmosphere was too loud and unwelcoming and therefore they will not be returning to Lane Stadium, to which I say, bravo, well done, Hokies. Let's do that to every opponent that goes into Lane the rest <laughs> of the season. It was, it was, quote, there, there was no way the offensive line could hear Sam. I truly have never seen anything like it. It was beyond obnoxious. That's not football to me this Tar Heel will not be returning. <laughs> one last shout-out before I bid this entire thing adieu. Well, two shout-outs. One, of course, shout-out to Main Street Pharmacy. Great sponsor. We love them. Dr. Jeremy Counts would not have gotten into the game had he not given me tickets because my friend who had my tickets decided to uh, have a little too much fun at the tailgate and let his <laughs> phone die when he had my phone charger, when my phone also died, and he was supposed to bring it to me. So... Jeremy, you are the double MVP. And shout out to Weston Snyder. Weston Snyder is a guy who I met, know him through the radio, met him a bunch of times at Champs. 
went to Virginia Tech, but has decided to be a big-time North Carolina fan. He roots for the Heels over Tech all offseason long. Sends me basically every big recruit that they get, all of the hype lines about North Carolina. And when I sit in these seats that Jeremy gave me, which, by the way, were like 40-yard line, 10 rows back, I'm like, holy crap, this is so much better than what I pay for because I don't even know where my seats are, but they're in South End Zone <laughs> somewhere. And look who's in the row in front of me. Mr. Weston Snyder with his Sam Howell jersey on. Good sport the entire time. But when Burmeister threw that pick, he turns around, seven-point game, pats me on the back and goes, we're just here to have fun, Andrew. One play later, Sam Howell throws it right back. And I go, I'm having damn fun. Let's have some fun this season, Virginia Tech fans. We'll be back in just a few days with a preview of Middle Tennessee State University. Can we not lose to a sub-Power 5 team this year? I certainly hope so. We'll preview it soon. Until then, go Hokies.